0: Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland in the Public Square. All right, you guys, don't be quiet. You know I'm not quiet. I'm Chanel Smith-Wiggum, Senior Vice President and Director of Community Relations and Corporate Initiatives at KeyBank. It's Tuesday, June 28th, and it is my pleasure to introduce the second forum in the four-part series here in Public Square, where we'll be talking with some of our region's new leadership, Today, we're talking all things city planning. Five months ago, Joyce Pan Wong was tapped by Mayor Justin Bibb to serve as as Cleveland's next uh, director of city planning, succeeding Freddie Collier, who held the position for nearly a decade. She brings a fresh perspective to the role as Joyce is the first woman, first mother, and first Asian American to hold the position. Before becoming a city planner, Joy spent six years at Midtown Cleveland, a community development organization as the vice president of city city of community development. During her time there, she helped design the area's new master plan, a comprehensive vision with 20 strategies to support businesses, provide job opportunities and to build on the intersection of several Midtown neighborhoods. Joyce also led the Cleveland Walls mural painting project, which gave area neighborhoods nearly two dozen vibrant murals that transformed communities as an influential voice in the Asian community. Joyce has been an integral part of the stop Asian hate movement, and she hired the first ever team of multilingual planners, a commitment to increasing equity in the city neighborhoods joyce grew up in rochester new york and earned a bachelor's degree in sociology at the university of michigan in ann arbor
1: go blue
0: okay now
1: had to put that one in there
0: (laughs) and a master of planning and and development at cleveland state university in 2016. she was named one of cleveland's most interesting people of uh, by cleveland magazine in 2022 and Crane's Cleveland Business 40 Under 40 in 2020. And we have to definitely give a shout out to Joyce's dad who joined us here today.
1: Papa Pan, he's
0: right there. So what is Joyce's vision for urban development and how will she plan to build a connected city that better serves families and future generations? If you have questions for our speaker, you can text them to 330 541-5794, that's 330-541. You can also tweet them at the City Club. City Club staff will try to work them into the second half of our program. Members and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming our Director of City Planning, Joyce Pan Wong.
1: Thank you everybody. Uh, and I just want to shout out that uh, Mayor Bibb is here. Hello, boss. <laughs> and former Director Collier, I see you in the crowd. Uh, you know, it's an honor to succeed Director Collier in this position, um, and it's an honor to serve. It's it's great to see so many friends and family in the audience, and i um, looking forward to this discussion with you, Chanel. So now that
0: we have all the formalities out of the way, let's have a little bit of fun here. Um, You guys feel so far away, um, but we're gonna get to know Joyce a little bit here. And so I have a few rapid fire questions that Joyce has not had a chance to see or preview, Um, but she's gonna complete the sentence a little bit here. So Joyce, um, there are four questions. Um, The first one is, uh, my proudest moment was? First
1: thing that comes to mind is that my proudest moment was delivering my daughter unmedicated. Uh, So that's a personal tidbit, but also the second is that uh, completing Cleveland walls and quarterbacking that process, you know, coming together with artists and planners, um, working together with many partners, that was just a huge experience for me.
0: All right, the second question is, from time to time, it is good to.
1: From time to time, it is good to disappear.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. All right, and here's the third one. Every time I look into the sky, I always
1: think. Every time I look into the sky, I always think I wish I were a bird and -hmm. I could fly around and see everything below. I guess that's kind of urban plannery of me, right? To be able to see from above and that see is the maps.
0: very live. urban planner of you. <laughs> All right, this one may get me into trouble, but I'm going to ask it. If I was mayor for the day, I would...
1: If I was mayor for the day, I would... I would play in the NBA... All-Star Weekend Tournament, but I would be on the bench, so. Maybe
0: you could coach the game.
1: Oh, yeah, I could coach the game. Okay. Let's do that.
0: Maybe in another few years we can get that <laughs> game back. Okay. All right, so we're going to continue to get to know Joyce a little bit as the first mom, the first woman, the first Asian-American um, to lead our city planning department. So, Joyce, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming our city planner? How did you end up in this role?
1: Sure. I... Uh, I'll share a little bit about me. So I I grew up in Rochester, New York. I am the daughter of two immigrant parents, including Papa Pan, as you see over here, and my mother, who both immigrated from Taiwan in the 80s. And, you know, at an early age, it was really clear to see that in the United States, there were so many things that are observable and experienced um, with regard to cities. I think there were definitely cities that we all kind of know the vibe and experience of, um, and then there are other things about American history and American cities that, you know, we're also just sort of, you know, palpable. It's the, it's the racial disparity. It's the structural issues that prevent our cities from really multiplying and growing. And, you know, this was observable as an early age. And when I first moved to Cleveland, I moved to the Shaker Square area, which is just such a fascinating place. It's the best neighborhood <laughs> under me too <laughs> me too shaker Square. Is. it's just the best place and you can see so many dynamics at play and living in shaker square um at the time i was like what's going on here you know there's a lot at play i didn't come here to become an urban planner but i soon got interested because i wanted to really un- unwrap and address some of the clear disparities that were coming to the surface um so with that, I you know, really fell in love with Cleveland. I've committed to living here. I've lived here for 15 years. Um, as an Asian American, it's always been interesting to figure out my space in that, and I think through city planning, um, I hope to bring you know, that lived experience into what I observe and, and feel and see. Um, and here I am after many years of really my own exploration and wrestling with what it means to be here in Cleveland
0: thank you for that so information is power and even as someone who is as civically engaged as i am i still can't tell you what city planning is i can't tell you what landmarks is board and zoning i have no clue can you tell someone in the neighborhood who wants to know what's going on in their community. What the heck is city planning and what goes on in their neighborhood um, when it comes to your department?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think simply put, and this might be sort of philosophical, but it's really connecting people to the place. And I see that job as twofold. It's both preparing the place for people, right? For people to live, to do their daily activities, to be with their families, to have social connection to um, you know, create wealth. But it's also, you know, the, the, the opposite of the coin is, it's also gathering people and activating people to pour into their place. So there's this dual experience here of people really feeling connected to their place, their neighborhood. Um, from a nuts and bolts perspective, when you think about city planning at the administrative level, right, we're talking about city hall, what do we do? And what are our roles? I think we can describe it in two ways. The first is regulatory. And the second is around, uh, you know, creating a, f- a vision for the future through planning. Um, you know, thinking about the future of our neighborhoods, how we use our land, how we make our streets connected. So let me dive into the regulatory side first because I think that's where we could shine a little light. and. You know, you know, trying to make our government open, transparent, predictable. Love any opportunity to dig into the nuts and bolts. So, from a regulatory perspective, you can think of city planning divided into four total, uh, you know, commissions and boards. Two commissions: planning commission, landmarks commission. Uh, two boards: the board of zoning appeals and board of building appeals and building standards. Should I dig into both to all four of those? I mean, kind of go into it? it. I mean, people yeah. need
0: to know how to be involved in and yeah. what's happening in their right. neighborhoods, in their communities. Right. So let's do it. Yeah, and let's and those, nerd out.
1: Those are like pretty much the most public meetings that you see. You you hear about them, you you see them on Twitter, and <laughs> the Cleveland documenters are you kind know, of you know reviewing all of these activities. So Planning Commission, the really the goal is to um, provide oversight. It's an independent commission, you know, placed by the mayor, and sometimes by council, two members by council. And, I'm sorry, one member by council. And the goal is to really uh, provide the administrative feedback of, you know, approving projects, but also really looking at long-term planning. And that's something that I hope that our planning commission can really dig into over the next period is, you know, let's do, do the business, let's approve the projects, but also get into the meat of our city's future. Landmarks is uh, here to, to preserve our city's architecture, our history, our culture. Um, the Board of Zoning Appeals and the Board of Building Standards are both legal entities that review um, any variances that are, might be required. So, if, if the project doesn't quite fit the zoning code or the building code, they are then sent to the Board of Building. Uh, excuse me, the Board of Zoning Appeals to appeal the use or sometimes the form, um, or if the building code, the interior, doesn't fit, they are sent to the Board of Building Standards and Appeals.
0: Yeah. So my question is, as someone who loves community engagement, how do you strike the balance? Because sometimes I'm, I'm pretty sure the loudest people <laughs> in the room, um, those are the people who show up the most often but the people who are the most vulnerable may not know the, the process, they may not participate in the process, they may not have the opportunity to participate in the process. So how do you even democratize planning to make sure that those who are the most impacted are participating in the planning of their neighborhoods and in their community? Yeah.
1: And I think that's really where long-term, long-range planning comes into play. So this year we'll really be kicking off our comprehensive plan Uh, We'll be thinking about what does Cleveland look like in 2040 and can we even imagine what 2040 is like Given what we experienced in 2020, right? (laughs) Um, And I think that's really where a lot of the groundwork starts with getting engaged and For me, you know my approach towards community-based planning has really been starting early and starting with a multidisciplinary group of people. So for example, if I could give an example, when I was at Midtown Cleveland, one of the most exciting and salient projects that we worked on was reimagining East 66th Street, which connects Midtown and Huff, two communities that historically have been separated by Chester Avenue, very fast moving car oriented street. And uh, you know, Our goal was to update a plan that had been done 10 years ago. Uh, Rather than just hiring a consultant and bringing them on board, we added to the consultant team. And who were those consultants that we added? We received a grant through a partnership with Land Studio to add two artists to the planning team. We also were able then to add youth to the planning team. And those are actually two voices that often are not completely represented in the planning process, but young people are really the future that we're planning for, and artists are like the prophets that tell us about our reality. So that was such an exciting project because you had artists not just bringing their own, you know, artistic elements into the planning process, but it was their design thinking and reimagining of what planning could even be. And so from there, you know, it was very strategic. It was direct outreach to residents, residents outreaching to residents um, and building trust by proving progress. Mm-hmm. So I think that with regard to community members, you know, we are going to embark on this long range comprehensive plan over the next year, 18 months, and that's gonna be the opportunity. And we're gonna need a lot of partners, people who on the ground, resident activists, people who are young and have fresh ideas to get involved into that process. Um, and, and we will will be able to share more. I will say that from the regulatory perspective, um, you know, we always encourage community engagement when it comes to projects, and I think especially this administration, it's important to have that early dialogue with your community development organization, your council person, um, and, and bring that agenda item to the commission, and have the commission really deliberate and vote on, on what's for neighborhoods so the
0: so let's talk a little bit more about housing um, our community has been having many discussions about housing um, property taxes and whatnot um, townhomes apartments luxury apartments affordable housing um, you name it it has a constituent for it or against it um, but I think at the end of the day we need all types of housing in Cleveland um, and I think as a community the the question is is becoming and has become how do we decide what to invest in um, and when to make that decision of when to make that investment. And so I I guess I pose that question to you.
1: It's a great question and and many, many opinions out there. I think that not only do we need housing of all types, we need residents of all types, because it's a city, right? And so we wanna make our city as welcoming as possible. I also will share that You know, we are a city that has continued to lose population, and while I don't wanna be the harbinger of population loss, we do need to increase our residents, and Mayor Bibb does have a goal of increasing our residents in the city, because having more residents means that we can support the grocery stores that we want, we can support the type of neighborhood amenities that we want, we want our parks to be full of people, we want lots of people out on the street, and so, you know, we, we do need housing of all types. Now, I'll, uh, I'm not the first to be like miss neoliberal economics, but <laughs> the market does play into everything, right? So if the rents are strong, developers come and they build more housing. And that's, more housing is good. I think the other side of the coin where we as a city, as an administration, um, with our other branch of legislation, uh, excuse me, our other branch of government, city council, we can really shape the policy that will then shape the market. And I think we saw that through tax abatement um, and, and more policies to come.
0: I think that's an interesting reflection, um, especially as a resident, a three year resident of uh, Glenville in my neighborhood. Um, where I worked with, or I I live in a neighborhood where Famico's has done amazing work to bring in new residents. Um,
1: Yeah, and uh, actually, I wanted to throw, uh flip a question (laughs) back to you, Chanel. Uh Is that, you know, through your process of becoming a resident of Cleveland, you know, what kind of housing were you looking for, and how did you end up making your decision around that?
0: Oh my goodness! It was a it was a lo- it was a long journey from being an apartment uh, living in an apartment to becoming a homeowner, and I was looking to be a positive contributor in Cleveland, living in in Cleveland proper, um, and it was just um, a situation where I was able to work with the CDC as someone who uh, who has a lot of student loan debt. And Needed the sort of housing situation that one I can afford a home and grow into a home But also grow into a community um, and I was able to do that through working with um, Famico's and I've been seeing my neighborhood grow and change and I'm hoping that more uh, Millennials start to move in my neighborhood and my neighborhood continues to grow but at the same time I I want the people who have stewarded stewarded that neighborhood to stay in that neighborhood and to be able to age in place. And um, one of the things that I saw when I first moved in that neighborhood, the old man who lived across the street, like he cried when me and my husband moved in because he was so happy to see a young family move into the neighborhood. And so um, it's just been a wonderful experience. So hopefully we can have more of that.
1: I think that's the type of story that shows Again, as we're thinking about future generations, how can we prepare the way for new residents to come? And you know, a lot of that took a bunch of investment. You know, Famikos made a huge investment in your house, I'm sure, um, and it took a lot of time and years. And we we need people to really care about our place to be able to do those types of historic rehabs. I'm guessing, and and. Build the type of housing that we want. Historic
0: rebabs, and I think it's a both and strategy, right? How can we steward those who have been in these neighborhoods and taking care of these neighborhoods for generations, but also welcome newcomers and people who want to contribute um, to Cleveland popper and to our neighborhoods, and so. Um, I'm excited about this new administration. I'm excited about um, your leadership. And I think this leads to the next question, uh, which is about the east side, in particular um, the southeast side. And um, I was talking to Dan Malcher before this panel, and I said, it's only been six months since this new administration. Um, But this kind of leads to this question. And I know um, Mayor Bibb is really passionate um, about where he comes from, which is the southeast side of Cleveland. What sort of strategies are or tactics that you all are developing or thinking about that you can share um, today in this public setting uh, when it comes to housing and neighborhood development on the southeast side of Cleveland?
1: Absolutely. So I will say that um, there are no easy answers. And I think that there's the strategy development will take a lot of time and thoughtfulness, which our cluster and many leaders around City Hall are working on. But I also will say that we have many tools today that we can work on and we can implement. We have tools like code enforcement. We have, um, we have zoning code changes, right, that can help support the development in those neighborhoods. We have um, a suite of policies that our whole cluster is, is coming out with Um, And when I say cluster, I mean our four departments, planning, economic development, community development, and building and housing, Um, you know, pay to stay policies, the tax abatement policy, which just passed through council, um, and, uh, and other tools to execute on. But I will say that there are communities out there that have spoken up, they've, Gone through planning processes, there have been multiple planning processes on the southeast side already. So we have the information and we have their voices. It's really about executing, finding the right tools and implementing. Because there is such a thing as over fatigue and over planning um, and not seeing progress when we're not proving ourselves through execution. So
0: One of the things that you just mentioned was the clusters, and I know that the Office of Integrated Development is a new structure within City Hall. Can you speak a little bit more about how you all are restructuring um, that department, and how do you work with building and housing and the other departments within City Hall?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think this is one of Mayor Bibb's visions that, um, you know, ultimately, I have seen come to fruition, which is collaboration across city hall. So the cluster, quote unquote, of our four departments used to be called regional development. And by renaming it integrated development, it gives a different vision and a different tone to the work that we're about to do. So um, those four departments, um, we meet regularly and we, we discuss regularly our policy issues, um, our planning issues, and The goal is not just to make business easier in Cleveland, you know, having a smooth permitting process, having clear communication, and being responsive. It's really about coming together and saying, what does integrated development mean? What does equitable development mean? It means that we need economic development tools of investment, of wealth creation, that feed into planning efforts that identify areas that need that investment. It means that we need building and housing to protect the built environment through code enforcement. It means that we need community development to support through their work with social services and land banking and, and, um, and the community development ecosystem. We need everybody to actually make progress in a way that's holistic. And um, you know that I think along with working across City Hall is gonna be the way that we see change, the change that can't wait.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland can't wait. Cleveland
1: can't
0: wait. Um, so I have two more questions for you, and um, I'm going to bring up a little bit of the elephant in the room. Is one that I, I've moved from the nonprofit sector now to the for-profit sector. Um, what sort of support do you need from? Um, the private sector, um, financial institutions, um, also foundations or others who work outside of City Hall to support the new work of integrated development or the new work of City Hall to av- advance the mission of the Bib administration.
1: Wow, that's very generous of a question. <laughs> I think that uh, you know there's tons of there's tons of building that we need to do as a city. And I think we need to not just do things same old, same old. Um, I think when it comes to innovative wealth creation, the administration's pretty serious about investing in black and brown entrepreneurs. Um, We've seen that already through some investment on the southeast side, but we need more. And I think that there's opportunities to really shift the prevailing situation here in Cleveland, which is that there are these, these intense structures that prevent our city from becoming more equitable and moving forward. Um, and so big picture stuff, I think we can be really creative about how we fund and uh, implement parks. I know something that you're really passionate about. Um, I think you know, we've seen that a little bit with some of our foundations through piloting parks and really testing things out. Um, and uh, you know, we'll be partnering with Trust for Public Land for our 10 minute walk campaign that Mayor Bibb has signed on again too and we'll be participating in an accelerator to see how we can you know, really creatively use all the vacant land that we have. I think from the banking side, you know, there are much more creative folks out there with regards to economic development, but um, I mean KeyBank itself has invested in like key projects, in black and brown neighborhoods across the nation. I'd love to see that here as well.
0: I swear I did not prepare her to talk about parks. (laughs) Um, But we knew I would get to it. Um, And there has been a lot of news talking about uh, lakefront park development, which we're all very, very excited about. But in the meantime, we know the power of neighborhood parks um, and that they can be a tool for economic development, community development, Um, health equity, and so as the new city planning director, um, how do you view parks as a pillar to your strategy um, as you advance your body of work at City Hall?
1: Well, parks will be essential to our citywide comprehensive plan. Um, You know, I think there are some very obvious reasons. We saw how in the pandemic that there was unequal access to green space and public space across our city. Um, you know, me being in Asia Town at the time of the pandemic, it was very clear that I didn't have anywhere to take my toddler except a parking lot, which now has been transformed into a pop-up park. But I think that um, you know, it's it's critical for our public health to have access to parks, and uh, y- there was also many studies done about how you know play is critical to the development of our youth and. You know, that is both, you know, from a philosophical perspective important, but also economic. Um, th- you know, there was a study done in, uh, I, I learned this through the transition team process from many of the uh, Coalition for Young Children folks, pre fork folks, that there was a study done around um, folks who are chronically in the criminal justice system or, you know, engaging in violent acts, and the only factor that connected them all was not race, was not economics, but was actually access to play. And I think that if we are depriving our communities from public space and, and the ability to play, I think we're not doing it right. And so my long answer to your question is that parks are essential, we know this, and it's about the strategy, it turns out that It's a little more complicated than combining a department into parks, but we're working on it. We have meetings set up this summer to really begin cracking into that issue. And then also I'll have to say that the staff in the planning department with capital projects and the parks and rec department, you know, have already been working on strategies. And our hope is that in five years, we'll have a master plan um, for parks spearheaded by all those departments. Thank you. So I have
0: one more uh, question and then we're gonna turn it over to q and um, I think you know this about me, is that I am big on coalition building and bringing together people who don't always get along to the table. And um, I also spend a lot of time on Twitter. And always, it seems like our developers and our community folks don't always seem to get along. And I'm wondering, you know, in what ways can we bring together our our builders and our folks in the community to the table so that we can have more productive conversations so that we can bring our community together and that we can move forward other than having conversations where they're at, you know, each other's head. So as the city, are you all thinking about other ways to engage communities or bring together strange bedfellows when there's not just a conversation about a project or a particular decision that needs to be made?
1: Yeah, I think that that's partly my style of leadership is I love a good challenge when it comes to bringing together partners. And I think that when it comes to builders and community members, where we need to land is our shared goals, our shared goals for the community, being able to express those and you know we will be working on our processes at city planning to make sure that we have a consistency around how community engages with the process as well as like clear expectations for how to engage and what's appropriate to engage because you know community meetings are different than planning commission and I think that there are ways that we can engage early to really get our shared goals together to Participate collaboratively to see if we can see eye to eye. Ultimately though, as a city, you know, we as, our, as an administration have to make decisions. And I think that while I am here to listen and our staff are here to listen, ultimately decisions do need to be made to, to move forward progress. And we might not agree on everything, but you can count on us being there to listen and take it all in.
0: Thank you. So we're about to begin the audience q and I am Chanel Smith-Wiggum, Senior Vice President and Director of Community Relations and Corporate Initiatives at KeyBank today we are enjoying the second forum in this year's city Club in the public square series where we are talking with some of our region's new leadership we are joined today by Joyce Pan Wong director of city planning of the city Club of the city of Cleveland we welcome questions from everyone city club members guests students and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org if you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet at the City Club you can also text them to three three zero five four one five seven nine four. 541 5794 that's three three zero five four one five seven nine four, 541 5794 and our staff will try to work them into the program may we have the first question please
2: hi good afternoon since we did talk about public space green space parks I would like to know for a space like this, we have a public transit to fulfill the needs and a good space here. However, we have never had public restrooms for all these facilities for people to enjoy the space and also travel back and forth. Now the zoning code is a part of the issue that also affects the housing. The tax abatement uh, legislation actually did not take care of the possibility that if all these developmental projects, they only want to put a funds in there, how could city recruit the proper developers to establish low income housing in the good locations? Because a good location will be all taken by those high end projects. So is there any answer we can get from the uh, Planning Commission to take care of it for us? Thank you.
1: Thank you, Lo. I, I, I heard two questions in there. So the first was around the public restrooms. Um, and actually, thanks to many of our partners, um, including Campus District and others, there will be public restrooms installed later this year across the city in, in various neighborhoods. So you know, thank you very much for your advocacy because that is you know essential and, and that's, I know, been in the works for a while. So we're excited to see that happen. I think with regard to developers in, let's say, hot neighborhoods, um, I think that was partly the goal of tax abatement, was to say, I, I, well, I see you shaking your head. <laughs> well, I, you know, there are many tools that we need to have at the same time. Um, I think partly is, it's very complicated, and I, I may not have like a perfect answer for you, but we need to work together with our partners to identify locations where the city has purview, um, land bank lots, old school sites, former school sites that have been RFP'd out, um, other partnerships with developers to make sure that uh, we can encourage affordable rents and housing. Um, But I will say that we actually do need more tools because we're limited in the ways that we can create affordability. Only a few projects each year get awarded by the state of Ohio for low income tax credits which are income restricted, and then also for um, historic, pres- you know, historic tax credits, we actually need more tools, to your question, around activating middle neighborhoods, for example, activating um, more developments that might um, encourage um, you know, you know, more affordable rents in hotter markets. At the end of the day, the theory is, right, the more housing you build, the more supply there is, that hopefully the rents will reflect the supply. And you know again, that's a theory, but I think that that is the idea of building more housing for all.
3: Hi, Joyce and Chanel. How Hello. are you both? About a month ago, I was in Nashville, which is one of the r- most rapidly growing cities in the nation, um, with a Cleveland contingent for about, I don't know, 45 minutes. We were pretty impressed, and then some things started to come up which is uh, 15 years ago, Nashville was a very sleepy city. Probably, I think Memphis eclipsed it in potential. But it just exploded in these f- past 15 years. Uh, one thing that we really saw was the impact of growing pains there. And so even though they had you know, different, I, I forget, Intel, a lot of different um, global companies that were growing in, the city core was actually declining in residents because they could not support, they didn't have the space for them, the public transportation could not support. There was a lot of inequity on who was getting served. A lot of the questions that we just had from Lowe, you could see in place. So uh, we've talked a lot in the last two decades really about managing decline in Cleveland. But is there a plan for a plan about managing rapid growth? We're about to see um, Sharon Williams pick this site, which has been empty for a very long time, and that's great. But in regards to sudden, unexpected growth, especially from a corporate air, uh, corporate determination, how can we make sure that our at our schools, our public transportation, uh, residents? Um, that the our you know historic building stock which is so important here in Cleveland that that just doesn't go out of the window because of that influx of money which is good but then it can also be not so good
1: thank you Jennifer and yes I think that you know we have seen how we need to be resilient in the way that we think about our cities. Like even over the last three years, nobody could have expected this pandemic and all the technological changes. So whether we continue on the path of rapid growth or managing decline, I think we need to be ready and prepared. But I will say that we want to be on the, on the road towards growth. And you know already, I think when it comes to our zoning changes, that's an area where we can really begin to study how we might be able to encourage more transit oriented development. So if you could you know, draw an area around each rapid stop and identify how we might try to encourage more more growth, more residential opportunities, more housing opportunities, more, more jobs. The staff have already started to do that study. Um, I think that with regard to 15 minute studies, excuse me, 15 minute cities, we've already started that analysis to say how can each neighborhood really be Um, moving in a direction of sustaining its own amenities and needs Um, and then I think with regard to you know rapid growth and big infrastructure projects whether it's the midway bike infrastructure or the lakefront development I think we really need to be looking at you know where are the opportunities for development and and growth Um, but also making sure that along corridors like the Midway, what are the tools that we can enact to make sure there's no displacement in the Asiatown neighborhoods and St. Clair Superior neighborhoods. Sometimes that's accomplished through zoning, sometimes it's accomplished through other policies. So that's something that we're really, really interested in looking at. I'll say broadly that I want to be very proactive with regard to this and, and rearranging the staff structure in order to make sure that we're both accommodating our regulatory work, our zoning work, and also more um, proactive strategies um, to address some of these big topics, big big topics. So thanks.
4: Hi, thanks for engaging the public in this way. I uh, don't have an abstract question for you, but uh, a request for a commitment. And uh, we met a while back about um, about the timing of uh, and the publication of agendas and the uh, and the presentation of uh, design materials on the public website so that we could prepare for these public meetings at City Planning Commission or Landmarks Commission. And today, I uh, got an email with a draft Planning Commission agenda. Now, it's for the July 1st meeting. I, I don't know why it says draft on it, but it seems to me that a Planning Commission agenda that's published should be a real agenda. That should be what's on the agenda, and we could expect that the items listed would be on the agenda. And then when we go to the website, we should be able to look at the design presentation materials associated with that. And uh, I think that we'd wanted 14 days advance notice, especially on issues that require uh, zoning change or a conditional use permit. And I think you committed to seven days uh, back in April. <clears throat> but when I went to the website, the design presentation materials for the Friday's meeting are not posted. And I'd like to ask you for a commitment to get these design presentation materials on the website when the agenda is published 14 days in advance and if not 14 then the seven if, if like if we could have that commitment.
1: Well thank you for your comments and I know we've spoken about this before I think there are some technical challenges that we're still working out with regard to how we post on the website. Once the pandemic started we began pu- putting all of the presentations into one deck. For planning commission, and so that y- y- receiving all the various presentations um, to put into the deck usually comes on Thursday because we have design review the day before. Um, so and we can find solutions that may include p- posting those individual presentations up. Um, you know, making sure that the agenda is posted as you said early in the week. You know, I th- right now we've been posting it sometimes Monday, sometimes Tuesday. Um, but I'll say that you know it does require a lot of coordination among our staff to get those materials together. Well um, and
4: maybe, maybe it could just be slowed something down. Something I'm working towards, Maybe yes. we could just slow down a little bit and do it so that the people can be engaged. Thank you and I'm sorry to go on like thank this. You. Thank I, I've you, I've heard
1: your feedback. Thank you. thank you. Hi. As I understand it, um, I think you, you said that you're anticipating or aspiring to a five-year master plan for uh, the city park uh, layout. And I'm just wondering, um, is this being built on something that the previous administrations and their units and so forth have been working on, or are you starting from scratch, and if so, why? Great question, so um, the answer is yes. Staff have started the analysis in the prior administration, and staff are really the, the folks that carry on the work from administration to administration. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited because we do have some really key staff in capital projects and parks that um, can really do the analysis work, and you know there's gonna be more information to come. Um, but we, in, in my knowledge, have not actually had a five-year master plan for, for parks ever, ever? Ever, no. Ever. So I think that is the goal, is to actually produce a document that can guide us. So we are depending on the work from before, but it's gonna be a new product.
0: I, I don't know if everyone heard her question, but she was asking if the city would be starting from scratch as far as a, a, a new f- uh, five-year parks master plan.
2: Hello, and thank you for being here today especially as a city employee who is willing to take comments from the public this summer. We appreciate it. It's been 1,942 days since these Jersey Bears are put into place, preventing the full beautification of this beautiful square here in Cleveland. It is this new administration's priority, as we've been told, to remove these barriers, how many more days must Clevelanders pay to have these barriers here before they then pay another $500,000 to put Bollards in place?
1: Great question. As far as I know, we are continuing to work on it. It is definitely a priority for the mayor. Have you seen his commitment and and um, council's commitment as well financially? So the next step really is getting the design and process going and Capital Projects has been working pretty hard on that. Um, with our partners at Land Studio and also at Planning, we're going to be able to bring that to the public, hopefully in the next month or so, maybe more from Planning Commission. So
2: So a month or so?
1: I would have to get back to you on the timeline, but we, we're working on it.
5: Ms Huang, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, My question's about climate change and the potential benefits and negatives for our city. A lot of Great Lakes cities have been positioning themselves as uh, potential climate refuges. Uh, City of Buffalo and University of Buffalo recently did a study that said, we're actually not prepared to be a city like that and we need to do some planning. So my first part of my question is about how you are uh, shaping city plans to accommodate people, businesses, any changing climate here in Cleveland. Second part of my question is about the negatives of climate on our community. Uh, As we've looked at what the most likely um, model scenarios show, we're looking at more intense rainfall events in our city, uh, going from seven a year to eight or nine, and that likely means flooding and erosion as the biggest problems to our city's land and infrastructure. We have a lot of housing stock and buildings that are along high points along river valleys, when you think of Big Creek, Rocky River, West Creek, Mill Creek, how are you looking at addressing that either with zoning, land buybacks, or other provisions to make sure that we're not reacting to those situations when they happen?
1: Thank you. I heard a lot of really good ideas in there. So I think part of what our goal is is we're going to be working with our experts that know much more about resiliency and and the impacts of climate change as that's not necessarily my specific expertise, but we'll be working with the Chief of Sustainability, with our experts, with their foundations, to make sure that that's integrated into our Citywide 2040 plan. So, thanks.
6: Hi, great conversation today. I serve as the, um, I moonlight as the planning chair for the Planning Commission in Cleveland Heights, and I am curious, obviously you have a lot to work on here in Cleveland, but what are your thoughts about regional planning, the County Planning Commission, working with inner-ring suburbs to create more of a cohesive approach to planning and and frankly zoning codes, things that you might wanna see from inner-ring suburbs around zoning?
1: Great question, and the answer is yes to regional government. Um, I'll say if the county's here, I know the county, uh, Mary and co, were uh, gonna be around. Um, The county is actually leading a transit-oriented development study for the whole county and thinking about zoning and how these different cities interact with one another. Um, And then also with regard to partnerships across city lines, there is a lot of opportunity, I think, across our borders. So I'm looking forward to seeing how we can work together.
6: My name is DeAndre Peacock, and uh, I just wanted to talk about the Internet being a public service here in uh, Ohio and making sure that it stays free in a government-controlled service because uh, a lot of people don't know that the Internet was actually created by the government, so it was always originally a free service. And what are we doing to make people aware that this was actually a free service so that – public, so that uh, private companies don't wind up buying the rights to the internet so that we don't wind up having to spend $200 a month for something that was honestly free from the beginning.
1: Thank you, I appreciate your advocacy and I think this type of internet is so critical, um, you know, having it accessible. I'll say it's a little outside my purview as the city planning director, but I would, I'm on your side. Um, and I think that, you know, there's an opportunity to make sure that we continue to advocate for this type of internet access. Um, and, and digital access is one of the mayor's priorities, so I'm certain that they'll be advocating for that with our partners.
6: Thank you. <laughs> um,
2: thank you for your time today. This text question, um, this person wants to know, what can be done about so many absentee often out-of-state landlords neglecting their rundown houses and ruining many Cleveland neighborhoods, including mine?
1: Yes, big, big claps for that one, big claps. So great question. Um, you know, I think this is where I defer to the Department of Building and Housing, led by Sally Martin, who is excellent, and she has tons of ideas on how to address these out-of-town you know, buyers and um, really kind of those who are taking advantage of our city. Um, So some of the ideas that I know she's put out there already is having a local agent be representative. Um, Some of the ideas coming out of our shop is talking about making sure that we have an escrow in place. So if someone is buying a property that's condemned or is um, foreclosed, that they be able to put some escrow in so that we know an investment is actually coming. So there's a lot of ideas out there that we're chewing on and we hope to make solid policy um, soon.
6: Thank you for being here today. My name is Chad Stevens. I am uh, an environmentalist as well as a, a developer, and I have several questions. But the most pressing two uh, deal with uh, new homes uh, coming online within the city, have, going above and beyond the current uh, building codes that are set within the state, uh, having being more solar ready and being uh, having. Uh, accessibility for heat pumps and also uh, having diversity within the housing stock within the city. Uh, I've been told several times by many builders that they don't want to deal with the city because it's so difficult to be able to build within the city. And I can tell you for somebody that's trying to build their own home in the city. I'm about to move and I, I don't I want to stay in the city that I've lived my entire life. So how yeah. can we uh, yeah. address these?
1: Thank you thank you, Chad and we want to welcome you to build that house so we want to work with you on that. And I think I heard several issues in your questions. I think the first is sort of ease of business and uh, Director Martin again has put forward a, a request for proposals for consultants to really analyze our permitting process to make sure that any user right, not just the big developers but Individuals like yourself can actually navigate the permit process with much more ease. We're also working with the Department of Communications on our website to make sure that it's a modern website. That you know, if you come to the integrated web, excuse me, the integrated development website, you can type in the address, type in your need, and it'll show you things like your zoning, whether you're in a historic district, um, you know, the the past history of your property, and then move you through. Uh, a portal that will help you get the permits that you need. So that's one of the issues that I hear. The second that I hear too is around building types. Um, And that's actually where we could look to our financial partners, because I think oftentimes building type depends on the financing, right? So we need more condos. We need other types of products, um, but we also need the financing to work out. And that's what the feedback that we've been hearing. so maybe we can talk, <laughs> but yeah, I think the other thing that you've mentioned is then environmentally, you know, friendly housing typologies, uh, heat pumps and stuff like that. And, and our our staff are super creative. I've, our staff are the experts on this, and we are playing with innovative zoning opportunities. So you know, right now we have a zoning code that talks about air conditioners in a side yard, and we might make it you know you don't have to get a variance if you do a heat pump, you know, like that, that sort of thing, to help encourage the use of more environmentally sustainable uh, buildings. Um, but I would love to hear more ideas. I know there's tons of experts out there, tons of, tons of people who have opinions about how to manage our, um, our next 20 years, so.
2: So our final question for today is, Cleveland recently passed a new complete streets audience. What is your dream for how this audience will advance a more equitable transportation network in Cleveland? Will we finally get protected bike lanes?
1: Yes, we will get protected bike lanes and protected bike lanes of all types. That's Jacob answer. didn't
0: even hear that. She said, Yes, we will get protected bike lanes. <laughs> well, Thank you, Joyce. Um, I've been on vacation over here while you've been in the hot seat. Um, but today we're in Public Square in downtown Cleveland, listening to the second forum in the City Club uh, in the, City Club and the Public Square series. We just heard from Joyce Pan Wong, Director of City Planning for the City of Cleveland. Support for the City Club in Public Square comes from RPM, Thompson Hine, and Bank of America. The City Club in the community series is also made excuse me is also made uh made possible by the bank of america i think they wanted me to say that twice um the city club appreciates appreciates your partnership and and generous support you can join them in supporting the city club's mission by making a contribution online becoming a member or texting the word donate to 216-616-CLUB That's 216-616-2586, and follow a few easy steps to make your donation. This Thursday, June 30th at 5.30 p.m., the City Club will be back in the community with the St. Luke's Foundation. They will be hosting a power-sharing dialogue at Morningstar Baptist Church on Cleveland's east side. Erica Anthony, Executive Director of Cleveland Votes, will lead a conversation with local grassroots leaders. This event is free and open to the public. However, registration is encouraged at cityclub.org. A heads up, the City Club is off Friday, July 1st, in observance of Independence Day. You can catch them again on Friday, July 8th. They will be joined by Crystal Bryant, Executive Director of the Cleveland NAACP. Crystal will examine what black freedom means in America today. That's gonna be a great discussion. Tickets are available and you can learn more at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Joyce. And thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I am Chanel Smith-Wigham, and this is adjour- now adjourned.